So we're with Dr. Adafri Jr., Professor Emeritus of Political Science at UPenn and an organizer for Medicare for All in South Carolina. And we've been discussing his piece, Unraveling the Relation of Race and Class in American Politics, which was published in 2002 in the journal Political Power and Social Theory. And he engaged in a debate with Ellen Meiskinswood, Stephen Gregory, and Morgan <coughs> And we've been talking a little bit about, uh, you know, we just were discussing the way in which Ellen Meiskins Wood made the claim that capitalism could exist without race. And I think that that conclusion is driven by the fact that she has a very particular understanding of what capitalism is, a, a particular ideal type. And you have a different way of approaching what capitalism is, and you may even resist that very <laughs> sentence, probably. Yeah. No, no, no. Huh. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's right. I mean, well, so when we were doing a labor party thing thing in the 90s and the early two, 2000s, and I was at the New School, there was a group of Marxist economists in New York who wanted to be of use, use to the labor party. Uh, and they would meet like once a month or once once every other month. And um, you know, Tony Mazaki you know, basically had me meet with them, you know, just to make sure they didn't do anything that would hurt us, basically. Because like our, and, and, and I open with that because, and I'm really, you know, not trying to be patronizing to those people, but, but a group of theory in inclined Marxists or almost any kind of theory inclined academics if left to their own devices, will pretty quickly start getting to questions like, which way is capitalism evolving, right? Mm-hmm. And more and more, I've come to see that kind of question as, as the equivalent of debates over who is the greatest third baseman of all time, right? Uh, <laughs> and um, and Tony's take. And my take on all such questions was, of course, you don't know what's, what's going to happen, right? But the one thing that we do know is that no matter what happens, workers' interests need to be protected, right? right. Um, and to me, capitalism is, yeah, it's a system that's rooted in, in MC, M prime, like relation, and it's rooted in um, the other principles like um, you know, the tendency to reduce all labor to um, abstract labor, right? And so like the stuff you find in Capital Volume One, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the part that nobody ever reads, which is Part Eight, because otherwise they wouldn't be talking about the precariat all the fucking time. But, but, <laughs> That's uh, right. That's uh, right. But um, reserve armies of labor and all the rest of it. The historical, yeah, but, uh, but once you understand deep what the mechanisms are, yeah. right? Like. Um, um, and like little things, right? Uh, like a piece that Joan, Joan Robinson, who wasn't exactly a Marxist, a, a Marxist and Michael Kolechki or Mikhail. Yeah. Although, although I think Joan Robinson is also not exactly not a Marxist, especially no, in right, the exactly. phase of her career you're talking about. Right. No, I think that's exactly right about her too. But like gems, right? Like examination of the impossibility of full employment under capitalism, which comes down to not anything about you know the laws of profit or what whatever, but the fundamentally political of the requirement that employers have 
for uh, the control of of labor, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And once you think about that, right, and think about stuff like we knew, for instance, with respect to the pink tide governments that were elected in Latin America, that every one of them, but especially in Venezuela, Bolivia, and uh, near Brazil, that there was a race going on as to whether they regimes would be able to broaden and deepen uh, the political constituency through expansion of the social state to a point at which the bourgeois parties could never hope to win election again, somehow without prompting the bourgeois parties to move against them anti-democratically. And the PT, uh, like I don't, you know, I don't have the same kind of connections in the PSUV that I have at the PT. Uh, but the Moss also clearly, right? I mean, they weren't babes in the woods, right? I mean, and they knew what the race was and they knew they weren't likely to win, but it's like, I, I think I've said this before in a program, Adam, a friend of mine in college said about acid, once you buy a ticket, you got to take the ride. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's the Moss movement uh, for socialism in Bolivia, just for, right, right. for the people. Yeah. We're throwing a lot of ac- uh, South American Af- acronyms. That we're Sorry, yeah, yeah. people along. It's okay. It's all right. But so, I mean, what you hope is that when they move, you can either you know withstand it, or or if you absorb the defeat, then you've built enough institutionally that you can come back stronger mm-hmm. next time. Okay, so now I realize that we started out with with MC M M, M Prime. Uh, and I mean, but to me, I mean, this is what capitalism is, right? Like, I don't yeah. need, need need to be concerned at this point about labor uh, control, uh, about what to do with the uh, uh, you know with the planning ministry. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. so from that perspective, I think about capitalism as the totality of of the social, cultural, and economic order that it's our job to try to transform, right? And that's the only way I think about capitalism now, to be honest. I mean, I don't study the laws of capitalist development. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I know enough to do what I need to do, right? So, and in that sense, I mean, Ellen is a Marxist theorist or was a Marxist theorist in a way that I've really never been a Marxist theorist, right? Like I've been, I'm a historical materialist, um, intellectual historian and, and a social scientist. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, that's not to say that, um, you know, I don't consider myself a Marxist, but um, yeah. but, but I'm from the Church of the Living Marxism. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so Ellen represented the sort of logic of capital school. Right. Where right, you exactly. read, you right. know, where you read right. Capital Volume One and it's, it's alleged laws and tendencies and dynamics right. as, as the kind of abstract uh, model onto which you can project into, onto the right. world. And I don't believe in laws. Yeah, I guess that's another thing, right? I mean, I believe in tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So, and and that's another difference between me and like the second international. But I mean, that's where like the Frankfurt School influence comes. Yeah, yeah. They they might have said the same, but the implication there, the trajectory is very different. I mean, it was going to end up being still very, very, very hyper abstract. And so the question there and the debate that was set up between you and Ellen in particular, I think, which is the most interesting part of the debate. Unfortunately, I don't mean to minimize Maurice, or what was the other gentleman there that actually really an uh, anthropologist? Uh, yeah, um, Stephen Gregory. Yeah, Gregory. Gregory had a really yeah. interesting uh, yeah, inter- like intervention there. Yeah, Gregory takes uh, Polonsis, uh, takes the state theory in a more kind of grounded way and, and mm-hmm. to understand this yeah. kind of stuff, which you know is right up my alley as long as you're not being formalistic about it. Yeah. Uh, 
but which a lot of people do, but yeah. And so that, that's the distinction there. I just sorry, I'll, I'll step out here. And then in terms of like it's the logic of capital school, wherein we have uh, these abstract relations of production that derive from capitalism as a specific historical mode of production. And therefore you can look at any society and then understand it on, on these sort of abstract categories. But that, I mean, yeah. I'm abstract, I don't mean, I mean, I'm making, I mean, I'm not talking about fucking Plato here. Right. right, you know, we're not yeah, we're not back to formalistic. I mean, they, they right. are grounded in a in a specific historical moment, wherein right. various, uh, you know, you go to the agrarian capitalist uh, revolution in uh, post-manorial right. England, you know, in the fucking and and it looks like the work is really interesting to read, especially in so yeah. far as it bears on on interpreting history. I mean, I, when mm-hmm. I read that stuff, uh, it's my bedtime reading. Actually, yeah, yeah. Right. And you should, because people who go back and, uh, and, and project capitalist relations in society back in ancient Rome or whatever, they're fucking up. They're wrong. Like that yeah. shit didn't happen right. until a certain you know, right. point in history at which the conditions of labor output and, and, and uh, you know, the, the uh, theft of property and the uh, you know, modes of sustenance, farming, and all the rest of it were removed forcibly right. in, in many instances. Right. Uh, and then through market mechanisms, they were, they were uh, sort of solidified into a propertyless class that had nothing to sell except its own labor power. Hey, that's back uh, to volume one, part eight. Yeah, right? spot on. So Adolf, I think what's yeah. really great about your intervention is that, um, you know, you and, and Mark share something in common, which is that you're, you both are very good at highbrow burns. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I learned from the master. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things you talk about is that these logic of capital scholars um, start with a theory of capitalism and then try to wrestle the data, as right. you say, uh, with this Procrustean frame of reference. Right. And, and you're more, you know, somewhere bottom up, mm-hmm. trying to actually look at, look at actually existing life. And I think that that relates to your comment about how different ideologies of ascriptive difference can exist, because today we perseverate on the concept of race, but other types of ascriptive ideologies also exist, underclass ideologies um, of the deserving and undeserving. So let's talk about what you mean by race. (laughs) Ah, okay. (laughs) Finally. And, and and, And you lay that out early on in the piece and 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 sort of where you think people go wrong in how they understand race and class okay wow okay i gotta earn my money now (laughs) um race i think is well i think of race as a very historically specific phenomenon right one that came into existence at a particular moment over time in a particular social context and what I like about seeing it or taking like an evolutionist uh, your mindset to it is that there's that there are many different um, ascriptive ideologies out there bidding, you know, to get picked up. Basically, it's not exactly what they do, but they're out there, right? I mean, they get produced randomly, right? Uh, and those that get traction are those that comport with the self-consciousness and the interests of significant or powerful interest configurations within the society, right? Race was one of those that came along at a particular time. I mean, as I said, 
pretty much between like the middle 17th century and the middle 19th century, depending on how we, where, where and how you look. Um, I think generally, though, you know, the modern taxonomy. This concludes your free teaser of this week's B-Side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.